ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day? Or see what life's like under the tree of life? Did you? If you could. Would you? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. Start clean with Clorox. Because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because... Oh my God, the charcoal mask. Great, because why would I put that on my face when I could drop it in my sink? This is what I get for multitasking. Ugh, why is charcoal so sticky? <clears throat> Hello? Hey, Janice. I am so sorry. I thought I was on mute. <laughs> no, we don't need to reschedule. I'll just stay off camera. Ooh, yeah, that happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. Kurt, we finally have it. Heat Nuggets. NBA Finals. Is there any world, any alternative universe you thought this would be the finals matchup for 2023? No, I mean, we didn't. I mean, the Nuggets were crazy, right? They were the one seed. We thought they had a chance. They just kind of had to prove it, but and they did, certainly. But their odds plus the Heat, like the Heat as the eighth seed having to go through Milwaukee and then eventually Boston, there was was no way that was going to happen, Corey. There was no. I, they no, I mean, have had an amazing run um, that speaks to the greatness of Jimmy Butler, um, the culture they've built, which everybody talks about, and just, I mean, the ability for them, for their, Corey, just, it's not just that their role players stepped up. It's that this, that the fact that got on my UCSB, Gabe Vincent, uh, Santa Barbara <laughs> <laughs> quarter zip on, but the, uh, getting the Gabe Vincent and Duncan Robinson and everybody talks about them being undrafted, but I mean, three of those guys go through the G league process with, with the heat. It's a, this isn't something that happens overnight. This is years of building so that when it gets to this moment, these guys, you know, Caleb Martin has the confidence to play like a top 30 player and not shy away from the moment. Yeah. That's the, that's the thing. You know, we, we can get into the, you know, the, the Moss and, the the series game seven we can yeah. do all that but i do want to briefly say you're right it's fascinating the the depth and the playoff experience that miami has accumulated plus the heat culture plus what is you know i have been so pleasantly surprised by jimmy butler over the past few years the maturation you know of his game and his leadership to just like an unflappable leader i think about you know unflappable people of course lebron Giannis. there's a couple people there but jimmy's up there too i mean jimmy butler it doesn't matter like rain or shine you know like he's gonna go out there and play he's gonna play basketball and and at a very high level and carry that heat team steady you know that's the one thing a lot of superstars they fluctuate but for some reason jimmy's just steady and found found a reserve i was really impressed because i mean Look, in the losses, especially um, except for the very end of game six when he found his legs again, I mean, for most of game four and five and, and six, he his legs looked tired. He looked worn down. He wasn't – every minute. I know. He's playing every minute of every game, having to carry the offense. And, by the way, go guard Jalen Brown or Jason Tatum on the other like, – yeah, That's the assignment defensively, and they play every minute. And, and you could see it start to take a toll, and yet – Game seven, his threes are falling. Like, his legs are under him. He is driving the rim and taking it to 
defenders again. And wherever that reservoir is, whatever he's done in the offseason paid off. It was unbelievable. Yeah. So let, let's go. Let's go. Why don't we just do that? Let's go straight into to game seven here. Boston yeah. Heat. Going into this matchup, Boston did have history, you know, uh, almost, you know, they, they could have been the first team ever to, to come back from 0-3 deficit, um, which would have been shocking, right? But they had a real shot at it. The past couple of games, they were playing pretty well. Uh, but what was your expectation going into game seven? And then what was the reality when you're watching the game? I thought one of two things was going to happen. I thought that the momentum of game six and the way that ended the, the gut punch that that was for the heat and the, the boost that it was with Derek White's last, um, I mean, honestly, and this is now going to get lost to history a little bit because they didn't close it out. That was as entertaining a playoff game as I have seen in years, Corey. Game six was so much fun. So back and forth, right? Those final minutes, it was just crazy. Um, but I thought if, Maybe the heat, the heat take take just they don't come out with the fight. Maybe that did it to them. They kind of missed their chance, and the Celtics just come out on a roll. I thought that was a possible outcome, but I thought the more likely outcome was going to be a more of a grinding game, hmm. and it really wasn't that. I mean, Boston after after Tatum sprained his ankle, they just didn't seem to have like the first play. Anything. Yeah, first play <laughs> didn't seem to have. They struggled again with the zone. They str- they couldn't hit the shots over the top of it was part of it, but they struggled with the zone and just, it was just like they, I don't know, Corey, we've been talking about the Celtics for all year now, but especially during these, po- these playoffs about when they get comfortable, they just don't play with the same. Yeah. When they're back and- against the wall, when, when they're like, you know, back against the wall, life on the line, they play great. However, in this game seven, you're right. It was different. We, it also, it, it's it, it doesn't help when Tatum and Brown, your two lead players, who are both in line for you know three hundred million dollar contracts coming up, uh, when they don't play well. Uh, so I, I understand this this whole series to me. The stars of the series has been you know the reserve for the most part. You know the, the bench on both sides did I mean really amazing things. I thought that I was like wow, yeah, no. look at Martin play. Wow, you know look at Derek White. Like you know uh, I really enjoyed watching the bench. But in Game Seven, that's when that's when you need a fifty-point performance by Tatum. You know, like that's that's when you do it. And it happened last series, Game yep. Six and Seven. You saw Jason Tatum do what he had to do and brought them, willed them into this. But this time, this no would be found. I'm forgiving of Tatum because of the ankle, and and if you watched the post-game video and even limping around, it was pretty clear um, how bad that was, and he was trying to play through it and. Miami, it took them a while to get there, but they finally did exactly what they had to do, which was start going at it. Like if it, he's out there, I gotta, I'm not taking it easy on him because he sprained his ankle. I'm going to put this game away by dragging him into every pick and roll and making him move uh, because he can't. Uh, they finally kind of got to that, but also they're, they were hitting shots and they were hitting tough shots. And then it just, everything started to flow. And with Boston, Really rough game for Jalen Brown. Eight of 23 with eight turnovers is just a rough outing. And if he's not performing, the other part of that is with Boston, I think, too, when their threes aren't falling and they've started, what, 0 of 12 to start the game? Yeah. It bleeds uh, bleeds into everything else they do. It really does impact their defense. And suddenly guys are 
getting wide open shots inside that they were not getting before where Miami's really good. Like we're struggling on Bam Adebayo did not have a good offensive game, but he completely impacted the defensive end and was a plus 20, 22 or 25, something like that. I mean, he was still having a huge impact on the game. He didn't let a struggles on one end impact the other. Yeah. It's, it's not just also with the, the Celtics and three, they had like a like absolutely dismal percentage yeah. from the three point line. The, the thing is when you watch the first three games, you know, in the heat one kind of what stands out. One thing I would recommend everyone go back and look at the, is look at the three point percentage that uh, Boston shot. Then you, when Boston started winning games, they started making threes, right? Yeah. There's like a correlation. Like, oh, wow. Like you're making threes. It's starting to go in. And then back to this dismal percentage, and to, for me, what that means beyond obviously the lack of points is the pace of the game, right? When you're yeah. making threes, it's about like think about the Warriors, think about great three point shooting teams. The ball's flying around, right? And it's just fast pace, fast pace, which then puts stress on their defense, right? You have to come back in sets. You're always thinking about that when you let the ball go. You're like, oh, we got to get back. We got to get back. Yeah. You're never really comfortable. So I think when the shots weren't falling for Boston, that then goes to your point with Miami, they start settling in. You know, and they start playing the game at their own pace. And then they never, to their credit, they they came up, and Caleb Martin in particular came up with the big shots. There were times they got it down to seven or eight. Boston make a little run, usually with Derek White, but somebody would make some plays. They'd get it down to seven or eight, and it was usually Caleb Martin, but somebody from Boston would hit a big bucket. And then they'd get a stop, and they'd hit a second one, and suddenly eight was 13 again or whatever. And you're like, all right, here, you know, they just can't. They were never able to really threaten, and then that run to start the fourth quarter, you just you kind of knew then when they started. It was seven oh nine oh to start the fourth quarter. You're like, they're not they're not digging out of this one. Top thrill two is like no other course. Two four hundred and twenty foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day? Or see what life's like under the tree of life? Did you? If you could. Would you? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. Dogs are an important part of our lives, and keeping them protected is a top priority, especially against nasty parasites. That's why you got to check out NextGuard Plus, a Foxaloner, Moxidectin, and Pyrantal chewable tablets. NextGuard Plus chews provide one-and-done monthly protection that kills fleas and ticks, prevents heartworm disease. Plus, it treats and controls roundworms and hookworms. That's a whole lot of protection packed into a delicious beef-flavored, soft chew designed to make monthly dosing easy and enjoyable. So the next time you're at the vet, ask about NextGuard Plus Chews. They're the one-and-done monthly parasite protection you want for your dog. Use with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurologic disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting a preventive. Yeah. So let's, um, let's go to the finals here because this is interesting. The Nuggets haven't played in like two weeks. <laughs> so, yes. well, I mean, 
like think about this because they swept the Lakers and they've just been up in the mountains in Mile High City, just practicing, taking time off. You know, yeah. oh yes, we've heard from the camp, Coach Malone saying, I you know, we want to make sure the conditioning is important. We've heard from Jamal Murray saying we just want to stay sharp mentally. You know, they uh it is a concern. Before we get into actual series, do you, what do you think that impact that two weeks off had on on Denver? It's funny. I, I I've been in on a couple of they they've been doing Zoom press conferences while waiting for this thing to start. And uh, Michael Malone was really honest about we're going to lose the match. Like you just you can't go from playing at the highest level of basketball every other day. And then just take two weeks off and not come back a little bit rusty, not come back with some of the rotations just a little bit off. It's going to happen. But they were also all really happy physically just have that time off to get their bodies right. That That's an eternity to feel stress. So I, it's why I expect in game one you're going to see a rougher first half from just shooting-wise and execution-wise. They're not going to be as sharp. But by the second half, once they get their legs back under them, you know, once they shake that off, it'll come back pretty quickly. And then then we'll get into it. But then watch out. I just Denver's Denver destroyed them in the regular season offensively. And I don't think Miami can slow them. Yeah, see, I I actually disagree. I think this is one of those scenarios where it's one of those like read between the lines thing where I think it's more of like a sorry, excuse me. It's more of like a message to the locker room. You know, sometimes you'll see this in football all the time and, you know, the coaches will go to the podium knowing that it's going to get back to everyone in the locker room. Yeah. So we'll say something, not necessarily for the fans or for the opponents. They're, they're actually just talking to their own team. And I think Coach Malone was talking to his own team there saying, look, you know, like, because two weeks off at this point in the season, physically, you know, it's just like you said, it's a boom. Oh, yeah. Once you think about the altitude, I was in Denver a couple of weeks ago. I got off the plane and I was short of breath the moment I stepped off the plane. So you think about being able to train in that environment at home for two weeks in the altitude, coming against a team that just, you know, almost blew a 3-0 lead, played a seven-game yeah. series. And, I mean, that, the end of that game six was absolutely atrocious as far as execution. I mean, how were there that many Celtics? I think there were two Celtics around the rim on a, on that shot on the, to follow up. So if it wasn't White, it would have been Tatum. Yeah. Right? So in my mind, I'm like, I – and then right after that, sorry, and Coach Spolster said, you know, we're going to celebrate this and then, you know, go. And once we land in Denver, then we can start thinking about Denver. So in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, you have time to game plan. You had time to heal up. You had time to condition the altitude. That was Coach Malone's message to the locker room saying, hey, I still expect this, this, and this. And, you know, yeah. it's more of that than anything else. I, I think it's, I think this is hard. Miami flew directly. Um, That's what I'm saying, direct after the game, right? It's after just, the game. It, it, which weirdly became a thing on Twitter because there were some people like Miami already has a flight booked to Denver. I'm like, well, of course they do. Like, they've also got one booked back to Miami. Like they've, they've chartered this stuff out. That's what you do as an organization. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, but anyway, yeah, it became a, I'm like, how did anybody think that was a thing? But you had to get there early every day, that extra day of adjustment to the altitude. You, you know better than I, but like, I don't, as an athlete, I don't know how much it helps, but it can't hurt. Like your body does eventually adapt. Oh yeah. No, it's a big deal. Like This is why I think the home court advantage Denver has it cannot be understated here. I mean, this is a, going into the altitude and going back and forth like that is, I mean, that's very difficult. It's very difficult. And, and by the way, if, and, if and I, I'm sorry, I don't mean to interrupt, but if you ever go to a game there, 
and I don't know if you've been there, their PR, and a PR guy, public announcer guy, and their game operations staff play it up. They tell you three times in the pregame that it's at 5,283 feet or whatever the number is. But, like, they tell yeah. you it flashes on the scoreboard right before they announce the starting lineup before the other team. Like, they remind you during the game that you're at altitude just so it gets in the other team's head. Like, it's they play it up. Yeah, I mean, look, it's it's a it's a big number, you know. The, the, it's like yeah, five thousand something feet, throw it everywhere. So, what what are you expecting in this series? I think this is just. Uh, I think it's a tough matchup for Miami. Um, I look, Denver's offense has been clicking at such a high level. They just took the best defense in the playoffs, the best defense after the All Star break in the Lakers, and shredded them pretty much. Just did whatever they wanted in the regular season. Jokic in two games had a tremendous numbers against um, triple double numbers against the uh, Heat. They're just, I love Bam. Bam Adebayo is an elite defender, but they're stuck with bad options of we can try to put him on Jokic where he risks getting in foul trouble and then he can't be a helper on other plays. Or we can put somebody on Jokic and do we put I don't know, Kevin Love? Do we play more Zeller? Do we put in whomever? Try to get a bigger body on Jokic and let Bam be more of a help defender. They've got there's no good answer there. I think what they're going to try to do is make Jokic the scorer and less of a distributor, and try to stay home and really like pick up Jamal Murray full court and be pressured on the other guys. But Jokic, it's the problem, Corey. Jokic, whatever you do, Jokic figures it out, doesn't he? Yeah, he's a counter. They're a great player. MVP, MVP type of players have counters and counters to the counters. And then the great ones, maybe, you know, they have three three moves. But, I mean, if you have yeah. – that's so funny about this too, by the way, Kurt. It's just like <laughs> you have one unstoppable move. You know, that's great. You have two – you have an unstoppable move and a counter. You're like elite. And if you have a counter to the counter, you're like Hakeem. Yeah. You know, like you're yeah, like exactly. a Hall of Famer. I mean, it's just like – it's just like it's, – it's funny. Like there's nothing you can do. And that's what you're saying. Like if you give him space – Jokic can score 30, 40 points a game. And, you know, and then then you have to guard him. And then he can also easily get 10 assists in a quarter, right? So it's kind of like it's like it's it's impossible to what can you throw at the guy? It's, you can't stop him. Yeah, no, I don't know that there's a good option. I think that they are also they're gonna run into something that the Lakers ran into a little bit, but it's really hurt other teams in the playoffs, which is Denver's just big. They're 6'4 mm-hmm. with the guards, and you know the shortest guy is Murray at 6'4. Michael Porter Jr. could have a huge couple of games this series, I think, just because at 6'10, and he did this last year. He's like, I don't care who you put on me. I'm just going to shoot over the top of them. Like, if he gets rolling, I just don't think Miami has an answer for Michael Porter Jr. And I think that ultimately, as great as the Heat culture is, as much as – I know that they're going to play hard. I don't think the flat games, the mistakes you saw from Boston, you're just I don't think you're going to get those with Denver. I don't think you're going to get a coach Mike Malone's not going to stick with something that's not working too long. Like it's just not, right? He's just too experienced. He's not going to make some of the mistakes I think Boston did in that series. And I will say Kurt, I I think Denver they're bona fide number one seed. And I and I yeah. and I want to say that because it's important here. You have two weeks off, and I understand Coach Malone's talking to his team in the locker room, making sure that message is consistent 
and very clear. We need to be, you know, on top of our P's and Q's. But at the end of the day, like they were, they had a clinch on the number one seat for the vast majority of the season, right? So like th this is a team that is number one. They know how to handle business. They know, okay, if Jokic has a, you know, a period of time where he needs to rest, Michael Porter Jr. steps up, you know, or Jamal Murray steps up. Like, like they're like, they're, they understand how this works at a very high level. And that's why I'm very worried about the heat coming into this because not only do they have the time off physically, so they're going to be in their best physical condition that you can possibly be in at this time of the season, at the most critical time. Yeah. Jokic should have won the third MVP. And you have um, a team that knows how to handle time off because they're a legit number one seed. Yeah. And, and, then, like, and then the fact that, like I said before, this heat team, they, they do make mistakes. They allow people to get back in the, in the series. You can't let that happen with Denver. They're gonna, they're, they're not, they're not gonna um, let yeah. you get off scot free. No, they're not. And I think the other, I'll tell you one matchup I'm looking forward to. Aaron Gordon on Jimmy Butler is interesting. Because part of what Jimmy does is, you know, they switch Derek White onto him, and obviously there'll be switches and stuff, but they switch Derek White onto them um, a lot. Jimmy just overpowered. Jimmy just bully him into the post, you know, get him to his spot. He bullying Aaron Gordon around. <laughs> like Aaron Gordon's a big guy. You're not physically pushing him out of the way. So it's an interesting matchup. I think the I'm curious what you're going to be looking for. I think the one other thing I would say going into this, the best offense against zone defenses this year, Denver Nuggets. Hmm. They, I, I don't think Miami's going to lean and be able to lean into the zone the same way. I'm curious to see what impact Tyler Hero has. Because remember, he's been out for a yeah. long time with that hand. He's expected to come back in the finals. I was thinking, that's wishful thinking, Miami. They're here. So he could very well come back. <laughs> so that is interesting because he gives you, you know, he's a guy who can give you 20-something points, 20 points a game. He has outside shooting. He can handle the ball. So they use him in different ways. I'm curious to see how he would impact this series. But at the same time, too, think about, you know, just mentally not having played for that long to come in at this moment against this Denver Nuggets team, the number one seed, and then, you know, play where the team needs you to perform at a high level to win a championship. And it'd be your first championship as a young player. I, I don't know what's going through his head, you know? So I'm curious to see how he plays when he comes back. Yeah. Um, and Chris Haynes reported from uh, Blue Report that, that they're targeting game three for him. You know, we'll, we'll see what happens, but when they go back to Miami, uh, NBA Twitter will be disappointed uh, that we don't get to see more of his fits on the sidelines because that's been, <laughs> that's been quite the show. Um, I'll ask you, he comes back. Do you start him or bring him off the bench? Ooh. In game three? So if he comes back in game three, wow. If you're down 0-2, I feel like you have to – I feel like you have to start him, right? Like, figure something out. If you have a little bit of breathing room, I would say ease him into it a little bit. Because that's the thing as a young player. If you come off the bench, you know, it's just you can have – even if it's, like, immediate after a series or two, you know what I'm saying? Come off the bench, but there's no pressure of being a starter in the finals and you need to, you know, you need to do this. I, I think that might be just better mentally. But if you're down 0-2, what the heck? Just go for it. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think – look, I've liked their starting lineup. I try to bring him off the bench, but I think you get to the point of this, which is – there will come a point in this series where, if it goes as expected, where Eric Spolstra's, you're just throwing stuff at a wall at some point, right? Well, that's not working. That's not what, what am I going to do? And you start trying crazier and crazier things 
trying to find something and, and maybe starting hero is one of those. So. We'll see. So let me take you to my jukebox. Oh, okay. Let's do it. Yeah. So I, I was thinking for this week, you know, we talked a lot about Denver. We're already 20 something minutes and we talked about um, Miami, the Bucks. I think was one of the most interesting open coaching positions in the yes. NBA because you have Giannis in his prime, right? Because it's the team that any given year, it's like, okay, well, they're going to make the finals or be number one seed. Like it's like they're in that conversation and they already have a constructed team, right? So I was like, this is it. This is primo, right? They got Griffin, uh, Griffin, excuse me. And so they got um, Nick Nurse's assistant coach. And I thought to myself, hmm, What does this remind me of? So Adrian Griffin is now the head coach. I wanted to to, to paint this picture of Don Giovanni. Uh, I love opera. You know that. Yeah. I know you like opera. So I wanted to pick, you know, the symphony uh, right when the, the opera starts. I don't know if you're a fan of Don Giovanni, but it's, yeah. it's, a, one, it's of the, a brilliant, one of the classics. One of the yeah. one of the great. One yeah. of the classics by Mozart, and it starts with this very foreboding, ominous this uh, music, which is just epic. And you can have this sense of feeling where everything's going to like fall apart, right? And at the end, there is that moment where the the theme comes back in Act Two, and the Commendatore, who is this you know guy who's like who's dead, he comes back from the dead and basically gives Don Giovanni a chance to repent, or he's going to drag him down to hell with him, right? That's kind of, but but it's the same music, right? And I feel like that's where the Bucks are right now because the the reality is that you know the other. The owners that just came in, the Haslam's, who own the Cleveland Browns, I don't know if you've been following Cleveland since they <laughs> bought the team in 2012, but not a lot of good things have happened no, in Cleveland. No, been popular in Cleveland. <laughs> Despite the fact that they – the crazy thing is they got two back-to-back -back number one overall draft picks, and they happen to be at the two most important positions in football, the quarterback position and the defensive end position, right? So – and still, then you win your first playoff game in whatever, 20-something years. And then it still blows up. And then in the free agency, you think, okay, we're going to get a new quarterback. You bring in Deshaun Watson while he has all these lawsuits going on, right? Like you give him a, the biggest contract ever in NFL history. So all that is the backdrop to how they manage teams, which I don't think is very promising. And then you bring in this move where you have one of the most elite primo positions in all the NBA, in my personal opinion, with an unruffled, super cool, down-to-earth superstar. And you go for... Griffin, I understand he was, you know, an assistant on on the team earlier in his career, but I, I think that's uh, this is the beginning of the end for Milwaukee. And I, you know, Giannis is going to be fine, but I think this is the beginning of the end. I think we're watching it in real time. I, I was going to ask you about this because what I'd heard around the league and what's been reported too is is that this happened in large part because this was Giannis wanted a coach who had was a former player. They didn't. He wasn't. He was in Griffin's corner over someone like Nick Nurse um, mm -hmm. or Doc Rivers or whoever, you know, whatever. He wanted a form. Well, I guess Doc, Doc Rivers is a former player, but he wanted, he was pushing Griffin. I, do you think it's good for players to have that kind of influence? Because it's about to happen. By the way, I'm telling you now, it's about to happen in Phoenix. It looks like Kevin Young is going to get that job. This is not official yet, but there's a lot of momentum and buzz around the league about Kevin Young getting that job. And if that happens, it's largely because, Devin Booker and Kevin Durant wanted it. Uh, yeah, I, look, the way that superstars are you know, 
flexing their ability to, you know, player movement. And once again, I'm not against player movement. I think it's great. Like, you know, since Big O, since Oscar Robertson did all that back in the old early days, it set the, set the groundwork for this. I think it's awesome. However, if you're management and you're thinking, okay, we're going to try to build a team and build a franchise and a superstar can force his way out at any given time, and we're still going to have to pay the guy and we're still going to have to comply. So he could be like Kevin Durant sign a four-year deal and then be out, you know, within a year. Like he, like this is, or James Harden signed a deal and force your way out. Like we see this happening all the time. Um, I think that that would be a massive mistake. I understand you need to play, you know, nice. I think you understand it's a partnership, but the reality is because of player movement and because of these contracts, like you, you're basically looking at a short-term coaching decision that then, you know, I think puts you in a really perilous position. Um, yeah, I don't like it. I don't like it. I think as an organization, you have to be able to obviously to facilitate some sort of feedback, but you you don't you don't defer entirely just because you know best case scenario you know you have a player for twenty years like a Dirk Nowitzki or a Tim Duncan. The reality is you're probably only looking at you know a few years, two to five or seven years if you're super lucky. You know, so I think Giannis kind of has earned this because he's been there for so long and he's been you know the face of the franchise to be able to give a vote. But in Phoenix, I would absolutely not do that. You know, it's interesting. Yeah, I, I, I got to we'll see. I, we'll see where these things go now, by the way, you know what you've done. I've got multiple longer flights coming up ahead of me. What? I'll, I'll be downloading Don Giovanni for one of these. Flights. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a great. It's a great opera. Yeah, it's like yeah. I said, it could go either way, though, because, you know, there's a moment where, you know, Don Giovanni could repent. But I, I do think, you know, he ends up. Yeah, I'm not going to spoil it. But anyways, my main point is that it's yeah, very it's, it, whoa, whoa, whoa. Do you know how old this opera is? You don't want to be, do the spoiler. I'm sorry. <laughs> no spoiler alerts on PBS. No yeah, yeah. Look, it's, it's public domain. So no spoiler alert. All I'm saying is that it's this is the moment I think is the beginning of the end for Milwaukee. I also didn't understand, you know, like I understand like Coach Bud and all this stuff, but he was winning this coach at that time with you know with that span of Coach of the Year got your championship. Like I said, there are a lot of things I think are ominous. Um, this isn't the first out of left field. This is like two or three in a row the past couple of months where I'm thinking this is this is the beginning of the end. Uh, it could. It what could about, be, about, it, about, about, about the way, I, I would say before we get to that, I would just say that the, the beyond the coach issues, that's a team in Milwaukee that's getting old and expensive, and their problems go beyond just the challenges with coaching. So fair. Um. In Kurt's corner, yeah, let's talk about some of the some of the big shakeups. And speaking of one of them, the coach we talked about, Nick Nurse, heads to Philadelphia as their head coach. Um, I kind of like this move. I, I don't know how you feel about it. I think that for a team that has felt stuck in the second round, and whatever happens with James Harden, um, I think they needed a coach who's more out of the box, uh, a more – Nick Nurse is a better X's and O's coach, but also just someone more likely to think in interesting terms as opposed to and, and come up with unconventional things. And I think they kind of need that in Philadelphia right now. They need something unconventional because the conventional hasn't gotten them past the second round. Yes, that's true. That's true. Look, you know, I, I think if you're a coach, the chance to, to coach the MVP yeah and that's just amazing so I, I get it i understand why it's tempting 
But yeah, I, I don't know. We, we were talking last week, and we and you told me that this was the first domino that had to fall, right? Because yeah. once Nick Nurse decided, then everything else would fall into place. Yeah. Uh, what Im- what impact do you think this will have on the rest of the NBA as far as you know, coaching? Well, I, I I I thought he would be make once he kind of made a decision that other stuff would fall in line. The Bucks. I, the Bucks announced first, and reports came out at the time that Nurse pulled out of the running for that. Now, whether that was Nurse actually pulled out of the running because he was going to choose Philadelphia or Milwaukee made its choice, and so Nurse pulled out for – look, I'm just pulling out. You don't have to choose me so he doesn't get rejected. You know, I, how, however you want to view – like however you want to view that. I think with those two in place, Phoenix is next – the next big domino – and then you've got the really interesting choices in Toronto. And then Detroit is the place. Isn't Detroit feel like the place where you should get a young coach who's a player development guy and throw him in there with Cade Cunningham and that young core? And, and yeah, because they, they tried, they tried Dwayne Casey, they tried the, you know, an older coach who can yeah. bring some stability. So maybe it is time to try a young coach um, who can, I guess, a little younger who can relate to, you know, that's always what people say the young coach who can relate to these young guys and yeah. kind of be a player development. You've seen some success with like Joe Mazula, you know, in Boston going uh, Mazula, sorry, excuse me, going to the to the Eastern Conference Finals. But with this with this Philadelphia move to get back to Nick Nurse, you know, I, I think you're right in the sense of it, it's a fascinating it's a fascinating choice. I don't necessarily agree. You know, there's a lot of things that I don't agree with in the NBA. I think, but but I do think this is interesting the way that Daryl Morey is building Houston and Philly. It didn't work in Houston. So this is going to be where I'm kind of like confused, you know, like why, why push so hard for James Harden? Why push so hard for Nick Nurse? You had, you have these relationships in Houston. It's just like you're rebuilding something that didn't work. That was a very expensive experiment. So that's why that was my biggest hesitancy. When I heard this news, I was thinking, what does he, it's like, isn't that the definition of insanity trying to repeat something and expecting yeah. a different outcome? It is. And he's always Maury for all the, Oh, he's the analytics guy, and he chases stars probably harder than anybody, right? Like he's always tried to get. It's, hey, we've got James Harden now. Who we can we put next to him? Is it Chris Paul or Russell Westbrook or you know Dwight Howard at one point? Um, like they cycled through them down there in Houston, and it never, like you said, it never worked out. Now he's kind of trying the same thing with Joel Embiid, and who are they going to get? It was Jimmy Butler. Um, it was James Harden. Now, if it's not James Harden, is it? Tyrese Maxey and I don't know whatever else they're going to do. Um, I, yeah, it, it, the formula isn't working for him, and I'm not sure. I'm not. Is that mean the formula's wrong, or he's just not executing it? Well, the thing is, it's like you, you have a, you have MVP players like James Harden. You have Joel Embiid. Now you have both of them playing together. <laughs> so, yeah. so it's like you have you have young talent like Tyrese Maxey is one of the most exciting young players in the league. Like you you have you have like some exciting pieces here. So it is interesting to think, okay, well, what what doesn't fit, right? And I think that the foundation is probably more important than anything else, clearly. Like, you can have a beautiful building, but if it's on shaky foundation, you know, it's going to fall. And I think that's one thing that if I – we talk about this all the time. How many true franchise players are there? And I just don't think there are very many. You know, I I mean, in the entire NBA, I think there might be less than five. But the reality is that everyone has to have – someone who fills that role, just like, you know, how many great CEOs are there? Like, yeah. I don't know. It's a short list. But the, the, the 
reality is that everyone has to have a CEO. So when someone's going to get paid a CEO salary, and someone's going to have that title. And I think that that's one of the things that, you know, if you're going to build a team, you got to really ask yourself, you know, is my star a franchise cornerstone, something I can actually build a team around and win a championship? And there's a reason why Golden State's won four out of the last eight, you know, four four championships in eight years. There's a reason why LeBron keeps winning over and over again wherever he goes, Miami and you know, in Cleveland and LA. Like, there's a reason why some guys tend to like Michael Jordan won all those in the '90s. Like, some guys just kind of like suck up all the championships. And there's a reason. There's a reason. Yeah. Speaking of um, Golden State and Bob Myers, that was another part of Kurt's corner. Bob Myers stepping away as the president and GM of the Golden State Warriors. This was what the Warriors tried to keep him. They did offer money. And there were a lot of people who thought this might have been a negotiating ploy from Myers the year long. I don't know if he's going to be back thing, uh, that he was looking for more money. And I don't know what was on the table. But it was considerable enough that he chose to walk away. And and the, the sense is that this was a personal decision for him that, He's been there since 2012. He's been there a decade, and he wanted to step back from the pressure and everything with that position. Um, but it leaves the Warriors in a tough spot, doesn't it? I mean, they, they can promote Mike Dunleavy, who's the number two, but it's not, you know, it's not the same guy. And it just, it doesn't, it, it just adds the whole, the era's ending feeling in Golden State. Yes, it does. Very much so. I mean, you look at Clay Thompson and Draymond Green. Like, what do you do? You pick up Green's yeah. option. And Clay Thompson's going to his final year of the contract. Steph Curry's still in his prime, though. So this is That's one of those things. I think about Kobe. Remember when when Shaq left? And yeah. then you say, okay, well, you know, you, you retool around Kobe. It took a while, but you got Pau Gasol. You still won. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So I, I do think that's that's the kind of fertile ground that's left. Um, I think there's going to be a, like a period of kind of destruction. And then through that, you know, you rebuild and you have another breath of life in uh, Curry's late 30s with a new uh, number two. But the reality is, yes, this is a very definitive period, it feels like, on the Warriors dynasty, as we yeah, know. It's a, yeah, it's going to be interesting. And then this is where missing Myers really hurts. Like, you're going to ask Draymond Green, hey, you're going to opt out of your, I think it's twenty-seven six, twenty-seven million dollars He's got, we want you back. Probably around or a little below that number for three years, like 375. Like it, now it's hard to go in and say, Hey, would you take less to stay here? And which is exactly what you got to do with Clay Thompson, who was on a max deal. And it's just not a max player anymore. You, you can't pay him $40 million a year anymore. So like where I, that's a hard conversation to have, like the, please stay here. You're important to us, but you have to take less money. I think Myers was, uniquely well suited to have that conversation that's tougher for Dunleavy and Kirk and uh, Joe Lacobe and Kirk Lacobe, his son, who's in the front office there. Like that's, that's just a tougher conversation to have, Corey. I, the, 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 would you like less money conversation never is a smooth one. No, because you have to also understand that the guys who are in this position, you know, these players who are champions, you know, they've kind of always defeated, you know, the odds, and in their mind, there's always this idea of like, I am this type of player still. Um, and the reality is as you get older, you're not, not, you know, physically. So there is always this gap. And then the gap starts to widen more and more and more. And then someone has to be the, you know, the reality check guy and say, look, you, you can't play the way you used to play and you're not worth this much money anymore. And then people are like, but what about my value? I know my value. I know my value. You're, you know, so that's the hard part is that doing that at a place like 
Portland State where you've given so much and you've had so much success. And then you bring in, and this is the, the critical moment, because these guys are still in their early 30s. You're seeing guys playing into their late 30s at a high level like LeBron James. And, you know, that, these are guys like they played against and won and beat, right? So they're like, okay, wait, like LeBron still has 10 more years. Like I still have more 10 more years, excuse me. Like, you know, if I'm looking at LeBron's age and like the way he's playing, Clay or Draymond still thinking like, I got like 10 good years left in me. And yet, you know, you want me to take less money, you know, I can still help a team win. And then you give that job to a new executive who comes in, uh, who doesn't have the history, who's like, okay, I want to go in a different direction. I want to do my own thing. I want to, you know, do something different than Myers, or I want to build something new. Then it gets really complicated really fast. Yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be tough. It's a, it's a huge off season for them. Uh, chemistry wise, do you trade and just bringing in, obviously needed depth. Do you have to trade Jordan Poole? What do you do with Jonathan Kaminga going forward? Like there's weighty questions for this franchise as they try to figure out how to, how to win in the final years of the Steph Curry era. And Bob Myers will not be making those decisions. He will be, I would like to think like sipping drinks with a little umbrella on them in Hawaii, but he probably, he probably isn't going to be doing that. It'll probably be. But, it, but it's interesting because, yeah, I mean, he's in his late 40s. So you think, okay, what's the next chapter for, you know, but yeah. you think about um, the way that Golden State, like what, what, wasn't Jerry West the one that like was the real architect of this like whole thing, he right? Was, and then he was like an advisor or something that helped bring He was an advisor. Out. They are, and, and this is what's interesting. I mean, Myers gets credit slash blame. He is the, for lack of a better word, the guy with the hammer. He is some, somebody at the end of the day has to make a decision that was, that was his role. But they are more collaborative as a front office than most. This is a, we want a bunch of people in a room and hashing things out and different ideas from different, and and they're one of the groups who bring in people from, it's not all basketball people. Let's get some different perspectives in here. I want to hear from this, that, the other, you know, trying all these kind of crazy ideas. The Clippers operate that way. A few teams do. So in some sense, the model doesn't change just the voice at the top, but still, if that guy has those relationships, it's just easier to make it all work. Gotcha. Yeah, but I mean, by, I thought that was pretty, you know, smooth as far as that collaboration between yeah. West yes. and Myers. And then, and then now that you, you think about what happened recently, I think this is a big moment as far as like where Golden State's going. Just my last thought on this is it looked as though James Wiseman was the future, right? He, yeah. They drafted him super high. Then he got injured, never really played, and then they got rid of him. They dealt him, right? And it's one of those things where I was like, oh, snap, like, the Warriors don't miss, right? I mean, literally, they don't miss Splash Bros. And then when they missed on Wiseman, I thought this might be this might be indicative of a larger systemic issue, right? And, and then then now Poole, we saw them do well with yeah. Poole, and now Poole versus Draymond, who knows what's going to happen in this, in, you know, in the, so now I'm starting to get a little worried about, like, the vision for Golden State, where historically they just haven't missed for a decade. I'm not used to watching them miss, so I think yeah. that was pretty concerning for me. Yeah, they, that that miss absolutely sets them back. Just because, you know, we don't, I don't want to rehash that, but Lamelo at three, who knows what that looks like? You know, yeah. it's, a, it's a it's a very different dynamic. So, so last thing before we do our fun segment, there's news um, where the NBA is investigating. A referee uh, about a burner account, Eric Lewis. Uh, what, what was your thought when you read the story? Why is any NBA referee going near Twitter? It was honestly my first thought. Like that would be the worst idea ever. It, it's just, it is, 
Twitter, as you know, even in, and I don't want to, I want to go down this political road, but even in the pre-Musk days, Twitter was not a gentle place. And it certainly was never uh, kind to NBA referees. So why one would be on there, even if he's just defending himself, makes no sense. So I, I don't know if it was him. I know there's reports that it was a family member or whatever. Let the NBA investigate it out. But I was just surprised. What are you doing, man? Just it, for those of us who write articles for a living and, and have it, don't read the comments. Don't go on Twitter if you're an NBA referee, man. What do you think the implications? Because, you know, the officiating, I feel like, you know, every year or whatever. But this year, it seems a little more like people have been very kind of like visceral about the, the yeah. officiating. And then the NBA has been very, very clear to, to hand out fines. And, you know, like they're, they're very, I think this year, uh, more than most years that I remember recently, um, been very invested in that and protecting the integrity of the game and the officiating. What, what officials, what do you think this will do as far as, you know, the impacts of how the, the NBA will hand down the sentence? Uh, I, I'm curious. The, 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 yeah, I just, I've got a, they've had a real, the, the tension between players and referees has just felt higher in recent years. And I know Monty McCutcheon has tried to deal with that in the way that's not, being punitive on players doesn't necessarily help that relationship, right? Um, and But I'm not sure what that is, but I feel like this, that's part of this. It's just that they're feeling referees. I understandably kind of feel battered from all sides. I mean, I don't want to, I know you never spoke to and poorly to a college referee, but there are coaches and uh, there are certainly coaches and uh, Brian Kelly may have once or twice chewed off uh, a referees here while you were there. Um, it's it in any sport. It'd be hard. And I just, I, you I, on one hand, you can't say, Hey man, don't go on these social media sites and, you know, shelter yourself. But on the flip side, I don't know how you police that. I don't know how you say, man, don't do that. And we'll see how the investigation shakes out. Now, finally, we always like to end on a, you know, a positive fun note. So start of the summer. Yeah. Because yeah, Memorial Day weekend has passed. So I guess it is officially summertime. Certainly feels that way in New York. Our producer, Dan, asked, you know, what is something, a summer tradition that, you know, you always look forward to growing up or something that you and your family do now? You know, what is something that spells summer for you? Yeah, I was trying to think of one when I was growing up. And honestly, it was like, I'm not in school. Woo! Was really, you know, was really it. Um, one I'm looking for, I'll tell you one that we do now that's a very Long Beach thing. Long Beach uh, has a municipal band, um, like you would have seen in the 1950s, where there was a city band. They play concerts in parks five nights a week, four nights a week, four nights a week during the summer. They rotate from park to park. And people from the community, and we do this uh, after I get back, (laughs) once the finals are done and when I can, we pack up a picnic basket, take a blanket out, take some chairs, and it's as much social as it is. It's like this community thing. Everybody goes, young, old, everybody goes to the park. The band plays music. You eat cheese and crackers and drink wine and say hi to everybody from the neighborhood. And it's this very community thing that's kind of uniquely Long Beach. Not a lot of cities really have these moments. And uh, it's just a lot of fun. And I'm kind of excited that they're back. Wow. That's, that's, it's only a summer thing? Yeah, they only do it for 
six weeks in June and July. Um, and and it's just, it's, that's kind of what the, it used to be longer. And like many city functions, funding has become harder to come by, but it's, mm-hmm. it's kind of too, I don't know. There, there, there's got to be a way to do it because it's just something that's kind of culturally important to the city. And like I said, it's not a, it's not a generational thing. It's a, it's a crazy ages there. What do you, what about you? What did you grow up doing in the summer? What did you, what were your. Well, I mean, yeah, summer was always, um, when I was a little kid, it was about adventure. Um, then when I was in high school and middle school, it was all about sports. So I was always like on some random field, you know, either in San Antonio or in South Bend, just running laps, <laughs> running routes. <laughs> it was like, so it was like, for me, summer is like running up hills, you know, it's like, it was always working out. And then when I went to college, summer was like, back to adventuring be like you know i got to study abroad three times when i was at notre dame i got to do oh, wow. in brazil so i went to brazil for three weeks south africa for three weeks morocco for three weeks and israel for three weeks oh um, wow yeah yeah so i got to go all over the world and then i actually got to go to uh i spent a summer um in uganda and kenya as well i spent like five weeks out there and then recently summer has been more work when i was in the art world i used to, there used to be events in the summertime um that I used to work and stuff so it was always more kind of work related uh but then this was a big critical moment changed everything it's a pivot in my life i went to london to go to wimbledon which was my favorite i was like for me oh wow wimbledon, like you know i was a big roger federer fan and wimbledon was like the, the biggest so i actually got to go back i think it was 2019 and i was out there and um one of my old friends from notre dame who like lived in london for a long time told me that you got to do Shakespeare in the park. And I had heard about Shakespeare in the park, you know, but I never went. So I went to my first Shakespeare in the park and I was so excited. And uh, ever since then, I, that's what I do every summer is, uh, you know, here oh. in New York, there's, there's Joe's Public Theater right. and they do it at the Delacorte Theater and it's free. So like I go to as many Shakespeare in the park performances as I can every summer. So in New York, they only have one show this year and it's Hamlet. So I'm going to watch Hamlet. It runs for like six weeks or something or eight weeks. I'm going to, I'm going to watch it as at least five times. I, I literally just, I just go if I, for a free night. That's and I just awesome. Go there and get tickets. Yeah. It's like my favorite thing to do every summer. Oh, well, last poor York. That's awesome. That is actually, that's, that is the, arguably the best of, I guess, the Shakespeare plays. You can argue Macbeth, I guess, if you wanted to. You could argue, but I, I like how you just threw in some Shakespeare and just like a last poor York. Just kind of. <laughs> That in. Okay, that's a great way to end it. Yeah, Kurt, I cannot wait to actually get to a, a little bit of the meat of, you know, dissecting actual games instead of the preview of the finals. But this finals should be interesting any way you slice it. Either Jimmy Butler is going to get his first title as the, the guy in Miami, which would be, I mean, pretty amazing. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, think about Dwayne Wade, LeBron James, Chris Bosh, like to, to get Alonzo Mourning, like to be in that pantheon there would be amazing. Or Jokic. You know, in the first appearance for Denver to win after winning back-to-back MVPs, any way you slice this, it's going to be fantastic. I can't wait to talk to you about it. I look forward to it, too. Just in and so good. Thousands of summer deals at your Nordstrom Rack Store. Save up to 60% on new arrivals from Vince, Rag & Bone, Adidas, Joe's, Marc Jacobs, and more. Great brands, great prices every day at Nordstrom Rack. But hurry for first dibs. Get your summer favorites up to 60% off at Nordstrom Rack today. Great brands, great prices. That's why you rack. For 25 years, Mike's has been making lemonade the hard way. 
Mike's Hard Lemonade. Hard days deserve a hard lemonade. Mike's is hard. So is prison. Don't drive drunk. Premium all beverage with flavors. All registered trademarks used under license by Mike's Hard Lemonade Company, Chicago, Illinois.